the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Heading out to college is an exciting time and really the start of a young person's life on their own. It can bring about a ton of new and fun experiences, but can also be strange and even deadly, depending on what school you go to. Welcome to this Patreon-only patrons episode, everyone. I'm Andrew, whether you're watching or listening. Today, we have a mix of true crime and hauntings for you, with each story getting more sinister than the next. Hope you enjoy it. Here are five scary dorm room mysteries. Number five. The Unraveled Threads of Friendship In the early hours of September 20th of 2020, Erica Fremen's world stood still. And the silence from her boyfriend, Christian Aguilar, created a sense of confusion, which then turned to panic. She was supposed to hang out with him, but he never showed and was unreachable, prompting her to hit up police and file a missing persons report. The day before this, Christian, an 18-year-old freshman at the University of Florida, had a fairly mundane day planned. A visit to Best Buy for a Kanye West CD with his friend Pedro Bravo, followed by a quiet evening with Erica was all that was on the cards. But he never made it to Erica. Bravo, the last person to see Christian, headed down to the police station with Erica and there told the story of the pair picking up a hitchhiker on their way home from Best Buy. This man sat in the back seat and was playing around with some duct tape, but eventually they pulled over and let the man out without incident. After that, Bravo and Christian got into a bit of an argument over how Bravo was handling some personal issues. It got heated enough that Christian asked to be let out of the car, and that was the last time Bravo saw his friend again. The search for Christian was vast and urgent. If he were injured, perhaps, they needed to find him. And the woods were searched, the exact spot that Bravo had let him out at, and where he had dropped off that strange hitchhiker, but still nothing tangible was found. In two days with nothing discovered, Bravo was then brought back in for questioning, where he tried to act distressed, but in doing so, his story fluctuated a bit. Now he was saying he punched Christian in the face a few times before letting him out of the car, but that he was okay when he left him. 
At that point, suspicions then started pointing towards him as having something to do with the man's vanishing. At the very least, he was not telling the whole truth. A little more digging by detectives, and they found that Christian, Bravo, and Erica all went to the same high school, where for a brief time, Bravo and the girl had dated. It was recently that Bravo found out from another mutual friend that Christian and her were now dating. So, now there was a motive, and it was jealousy. On October 12th, two people walking in the woods went to investigate what they thought was the smell of a decomposing animal. Instead, they found a human, mostly skeletal remains at this point, sticking out from a shallow grave. Some tattered clothes nearby were what Christian was wearing the day he went missing. Dental records then proved that the body was indeed his. Initially, authorities thought Bravo had killed in a fit of rage. But after searching Bravo's property, they found sedatives in a Gatorade bottle that was in his car. Duct tape from the crime scene matched duct tape that was in his vehicle as well. And there was also a receipt for a shovel. That all pointed to the fact that this was actually a premeditated murder. Bravo, at 20 years old, was arrested and taken to trial where he received a life sentence. Two friends had gone out that day to hang out, but one had something else in mind. He thought he could get away with it, but he didn't think it through. Nevertheless, he saw what he had done was wrong. From his own journal, he wrote, I am a monster for having hurt Christian. Number four, the haunting of Scottish Rite Dormitory. Amid the vibrant life at the University of Texas, there sits an antiquated colonial mansion known as the Scottish Rite Dormitory. Built in 1922, its historical elegance is overshadowed by strange tales of unexplainable events and eerie occurrences. And Amanda Shavira, a junior at the university, experienced them firsthand. Amanda had heard several stories about the ghosts of Scottish Rite when she moved in, but she didn't believe a word of it. Figured it was just college kids trying to entertain themselves with campfire-style stories. But eventually, she had enough experiences firsthand that she started to change her story and become a believer. On several occasions, she's seen the lights flicker for no reason and says it feels deliberate, like it's not faulty wiring, which has been checked and is in good standing. On off, on off, like someone was flipping the switch. It happens in all different rooms, and on top of that, Everyone who lives there says belongings will be moved. There are items found in different or strange places than where they left them. There's no explanation of this. I guess perhaps it could be someone playing a prank, but this has gone on for many years. If the place is haunted, well, there's a good reason. As the legend goes, during the dark days of World War II... A young woman living in the dorm fell into a deep depression after news of her boyfriend's death and the war reached her. Unable to bear the suffocating grief, she threw herself down the building's elevator shaft. The tragic end, steeped in sorrow, believed to be the genesis of the hauntings, and the woman's spirit still resides there. 
Melissa Howell, the building's program director and a former resident who graduated in 2004, is a living testament to the weird occurrences here that defy logical explanation. She said, There was one woman who had hated having her picture taken and never wanted her picture up. Our administrator at the time put the picture up of the woman who had long been deceased, but that picture kept falling off the wall. Other strange happenings include an alarming symphony of noises coming from an empty storage room, fire alarms piercing out in the middle of the night, and a wave of heat when the building's furnace wouldn't turn off. Now, one occurrence is maybe something strange, but when all these things keep on happening year after year, well, ask most people that live or live there, and they'll tell you it's straight-up ghosts. As the years roll on, new students fill the aged halls of the Scottish Rite dormitory, and unbeknownst to many, they're headed for quite possibly a much scarier college experience than they had ever thought about. Because soon, every flicker of light and every misplaced belonging will make a believer out of them. Number three, a tragedy revisited. 13 years ago, the city of Charlottesville in Virginia was rocked by the brutal murder of 22-year-old Yearly Love, a student and lacrosse player at the University of Virginia. It was May 3rd of 2010 at around 2 in the morning when cops arrived at Love's apartment on 14th Street after a roommate found her unresponsive. The roommate had told 911 that she thought her roommate had alcohol poisoning By the time police got there, she was already dead. But they noticed what they said were obvious signs of physical injury to her body. Living next door was her boyfriend, 22-year-old George Hugley. George was also a student, and although he was an athlete who played lacrosse, he seemed to have a bit of a drinking problem, having been charged with underage possession of alcohol in 2007 a year later being arrested for public drunkenness. In fact, on that night, he was so belligerent that he had to be tased by cops just to get him under control. By May of 2010, George and Yeardley had been dating for two years. The day after her murder, George would be arrested for the killing based on threats he had made to her via text and email, his checkered past, and ultimately his own testimony. The pair had recently broken up. Down the police station, George decided to talk where he told of the graphic details from the night before. Drunk and in a fit of rage after finding out she was seeing another lacrosse player, he says he kicked open her bedroom door that she had locked to keep him out. While he didn't remember all the details, he spoke about grabbing and shaking her, which caused her head to hit the wall multiple times. He then left her there on the ground. He says it was an accident that he never intended on killing her, but the multiple blows to the head did it, and so he was up on manslaughter charges. As a result, he received a sentence of 23 years behind bars, and that's where he's at now at the age of 36. While nothing can bring her little girl back, Sharon Love filed a wrongful death suit in 2012 seeking $29.45 million in damages against George himself and another $29.45 million 
against UVA's lacrosse head coach, Dom Starzia, alleging that the coaching staff knew that George was abusing alcohol and exhibited violent behavior, but did nothing about it. The Love family would eventually drop this suit against the coaches, but in 2022, a jury found George liable, and he was ordered to pay $15 million to the family. Whether or not they'll ever see a dime of that is yet to be seen, but it ensures that even when George does get out of jail, he'll be reminded every day of the horrific act he committed. Number two, the haunting presence of Nicodemus. The college town of Athens is well known for its picturesque surroundings, the energetic bustle of student life, and less delightfully, a myriad of ghost stories. Haunted buildings seem as integral to the area's character as the venerable Ohio University itself. One address in particular has carved out a niche in local lore, the Sigma Phi Epsilon House at 24 East Washington Street, haunted, it's said, by the ghost of Nicodemus. Nicodemus's story can be traced back to the times of the Underground Railroad. The Sigma Phi Epsilon House, one of Athens' oldest buildings, was believed to be one of its secret stops. Legend has it that Nicodemus, a runaway slave, was found and killed there. Though there is no concrete documentation to support this story, it's agreed upon by many, including John Kachuba, a former OU professor and the author of Ghost Hunting Ohio. Over the years, a number of fraternities and sororities have called the house home, many reporting unusual, unexplainable events. The Zeta Tau Alpha Sisters in the early 1970s were among the first to share their spooky encounters. They reported hearing whining and scratching noises emanating from a sealed-off passage in a closet, doors opening on their own accord, and some claimed to have felt the touch of an unseen hand. More recently, Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity members continue to experience these paranormal activities. Josh Callaman, a senior studying history, has even had a personal encounter himself. He recalled one early morning when the sheets were repeatedly pulled off him. There was no one else in the room. Lights had been known to flicker without explanation. Xbox consoles power up and sign into profiles spontaneously, and doors slam shut on their own. However unsettling these events might be, the frat brothers have learned to live with their invisible housemate. They are convinced that the spirit of Nicodemus, though restless, means no harm. The hauntings, rather than instilling fear, become part of the fabric of life at 24 East Washington Street. Another chapter in the rich tapestry of tales that Athens has inspired over the years. And so, the legend of Nicodemus lives on. Unproven yet undebunked, adding a sprinkle of mystery to the everyday lives of the students residing at the Sigma Phi Epsilon house. In the heart of a town pulsating with youthful exuberance, the echoes of a somber past reminds its dwellers of stories untold and histories unforgotten. Number one, the unsettled case of Katie Autry. 
In Bowling Green, Kentucky, on the night of May 4th of 2003, 18-year-old Katie Autry had returned to her dorm room at Western Kentucky University after an evening out at a frat party. Unbeknownst to Katie, though, she wasn't alone. She had been followed back by two men. Stephen Souls and Lucas Goodrum watched her from a close distance and, under the ominous silence of that fateful night, snuck in behind her before attacking. And Katie was then raped and robbed, and then after that, they lit her on fire. When emergency responders arrived, they were able to snuff out the flames, and Katie was still alive. For three days, she hung on in the hospital, but ultimately she passed. The town of Bowling Green was in a state of shock and fear, but just days later, Souls and Goodrum were arrested as they had been seen on CCTV cameras. The arrest of the two brought a temporary, albeit unnerving, solace. Then, in the confining walls of incarceration, inmate Richard Mueller claimed that Goodrum confessed to the sinister acts during a jail time exchange. However, in 2005, to many people's surprise, after 22 months behind bars, Goodrum, amidst a storm of whispers and accusing eyes, was acquitted. A jury, swayed by the enigmatic dances of evidence, or perhaps the lack thereof, set him free. Souls, however, was condemned to life, the main perpetrator of the crimes as everyone saw it. He'll be spending the rest of his time at the North Point Training Center in Kentucky. But interestingly, nearly 15 years after his release, Goodrum's name once again came to the forefront. It was a woman in Texas who claimed that the man had stole her personal cell phone and keys. That was brought up to trial, but once again, just like a miracle, Goodrum was able to get the charges dropped and is free again. Only time will tell if Goodrum will be in trouble with the law ever again. But let's hope, if he does, this time they finally nail him down. So there were five scary dorm room mysteries for you. If you guys have any topics or ideas you want me to cover, please just let me know. I like talking to you all over here on Patreon, so don't hesitate to reach out about anything. Appreciate you all very much. Hope you have a great weekend out there, wherever you are. I'll see you soon.